0: And thank you. all. keep talking. There we are. Thanks for the reading and uh, for that wonderful music. My name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here and have the privilege of taking us into that passage of Scripture that's found in Mark chapter 9. Um, I want to acknowledge one thing before we jump into that. And um, Melissa made mention of the children not being in the video. There are actually a number of groups that uh, we miss in the process of trying to highlight the things that are happening around here. And I do want to make mention of one because they've been such a long-standing, long-time part of our church and part of the fabric of who we are. And uh, this morning, I see them sitting right in the middle of this intersection. Crash has been part of the life of this church. They're uh, absolutely <laughs> They're opportunities to meet midweek. They're coming here on Sunday morning. The leadership of Rich and others who have been part of this ministry over a long, long period of time Um, it's nice that they and others form what makes us the church, who we are in this place. And I hope you find places to connect. Um, If you're struggling with that, contact Melissa or myself, a church staff person. Let us help make those connections work for you. Um, This passage of scripture, you heard it read. I just want to highlight a couple of the pieces so you see where this is moving. This passage starts with Jesus, once again, trying to explain to the disciples that um, he's going to die, and three days later, he's going to be raised from the dead. And the disciples are clueless as to what that means. He has said it now um, several times, I think three that we know of at this point in time, and Mark, the writer, says they're just not getting it. I don't blame the disciples. I don't think I would get it either. I'm not sure that I would buy into a person if I did hear them say that, but I'd still probably even be confused at what it meant. Well, they leave where they're at, and Jesus goes with them on this walking journey through Galilee to Capernaum. While they were on their way, and that's the phrase last week we learned to pay attention to. Anytime you see it in Scripture, perk up because on the way means you need to pay attention Stuff happens in a great way on the way. Most of life occurs on the way, so be prepared for that. So, here we're told the disciples are on their way with Jesus, and the disciples are having this wonderful little debate. And the debate centers around who's the greatest. Each of them, it appears, presenting their own case for who's the greatest. I don't know if anyone was humble enough to suggest that someone else in the group was the greatest, but I'm doubting that. We're not exactly sure all that's part of this conversation, but the story is told in the other Gospels as well, and one of the other writers indicates that they were probably thinking about Jesus coming into his kingdom, being the conquering Messiah, and in this new kingdom, what role would they play as Jesus's you know, top disciples, who gets to be secretary of state, who gets to preside over the military, who gets to handle all of the economics of this new kingdom, who gets to sit at the right hand and be the second in command, who's the greatest? Well, they get to Capernaum, they go into a home, which apparently is the home where they are staying, and Jesus says, so what were you arguing about back there on the road? They were hoping that Jesus hadn't heard, it would appear. And so they kept quiet. It would seem they were a bit embarrassed to say what the conversation was about and where it had gone. Jesus saw this as a great teaching moment, so he sits down and they're all around. And he said, so let me explain something to you. The person who wants to be first needs to be last, and to serve the least of these. Last week we talked about the gospel paradox. This is one more of those very strange sayings that seems to make no sense. The person who would be first or greatest needs to be last or least. Almost as a way by which to explain this paradox, Jesus sees a young boy who's there. My guess is that he's part of the household where they're staying. And he has the young boy stand right in the middle of the group. Once they've all noticed him, he grabs him and puts him up on his lap. And he said, so let me explain this. If you want to be the greatest, welcome the least. Welcome the children. Be attentive to the least of these, these children. And if you do, you'll welcome me, and not only me, but you'll welcome my Father who is in heaven. Haven't you ever just wondered what it would be like to have dinner with Jesus? Or to have a conversation in the living room with your Creator? Jesus is saying you welcome one of these little ones, and you're welcoming me. Sometimes having little ones around the table is a rather chaotic mealtime. Maybe that's part of the learning process as we learn what it means to engage our Creator. I want to teach you a little song. I'm not a very good singer, so um, I may not do a very good job of teaching it to you. But I need to give you the background, the history to this song. I don't know if she wrote it or not. I I think she might have. She's the one that made it famous. And this person um, actually won a talent show. If you think that the modern day talent shows are a current phenomena, you are way off. They have been around for a long, long time. American Idol, The Voice, The Who's Got Talent Anyway, or whatever the names of the shows are. And it's not just here in the States, it's around the globe, they're everywhere. Well, relatively early television, in the early 50s, Arthur Godfrey, Talent Search, was a big show for about two people in here who remember that. And the winner of one of his seasons was Sherry Lewis. A few more people might know Sherry Lewis. She is one of the all-time amazing incredible ventriloquists and uh, had children's shows for years. She um, premiered one of her characters in March of 1956 on the Captain Kangaroo show Spoken from one who liked Captain Kangaroo, but a very unimportant fact. And that character was Lamb Chops. That was the premiere on the Captain Kangaroo show. Lamb Chops later became the key figure in her show. And for those of you who don't know what Lamb Chops is, Lamb Chops is a sock with eyes. Really nothing more than that. She put a little yarn on the head and two little legs that came out underneath on the stage. And somehow, I don't know how she did it, but with her hand working this sock, Lamb Chop's mouth, she brought this sock to life. And was incredible ventriloquist. You thought that this sock was talking. She was really amazing. She had several other characters. Um, Charlie Horse was one of the other ones that she'd operate at the same time. Lamb Chops in many ways kind of stole the show because Lamb Chops really was her alter ego. The things that she really wanted to say came out of Lamb Chops. There was a time when she spoke on behalf of children's programming to Congress. And I think it's the only time in history that... A sock has actually spoken to Congress because she got permission for lamb chops to speak in this particular session. That's Sherry Lewis, a wonderful person. I don't think it was early on, but in the later years, one of those two characters at the end of the show would always start a song that would frustrate her to no end which is ridiculous because she was the voice for all of the characters, but she would get frustrated at one of them who would begin, It's a song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was and they continue singing it forever just because it is a song that never ends and it goes on and on my friend and it goes on and on and as the credits roll and as the show comes to an end this song just never ends and even when the show is over the people who are listening and watching continue to sing the song, at least I always did. It's actually a great message, particularly for this passage of Scripture. Discipleship doesn't end. There's not some curriculum that once you get to the end of Discipleship 401, somehow that's done and you've mastered that part of the spiritual life. Discipleship keeps going and going. And not in a way in which It feels like a work that is exhausting and I'm longing to get a break because discipleship includes rest. Discipleship includes Sabbath and space. Discipleship is about a life that fosters joy and fulfillment. Jesus is calling his followers into a discipleship that is invigorating, life-giving, purposeful, meaningful. I'm convinced if the journey of discipleship somehow has become tedious, hard, laborious work, then something is off. I suggest too, though there could be any number of things, but at both ends of the extreme, it could be that your schedule is so busy that you have not carved out space for a rhythm of renewal and rest and rejuvenation. On the other end of the extreme, it could be that you have no purpose in discipleship. It's not that you're too busy. In fact, you have plenty of time, but that time's not filled with any purposeful, meaningful direction of work for the kingdom. And that emptiness creates boredom and boredom can lead to frustration and depression. It's certainly not the only thing that can lead to that, but it can send you down that pathway where the spiritual journey becomes heavy. It's because we've missed what discipleship is about. It calls us to a place of engagement of pouring ourselves out, but partnering with pouring ourselves out is drinking in what the Spirit's providing in those moments where we rest and spend time with God and fellowship with others that provide support and encouragement. It's a journey that never ends because we're forever growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. But I also think, I think it's, a journey that never ends, specifically about what Jesus refers to in this particular passage. Jesus calls us to be attentive to the children. It's very direct. You welcome one of these little ones and you are welcoming me. Now, there are other portions of Scripture where it talks about what it means to become childlike, to enter into the kingdom, to put aside all your pretense, to lay down that veneer that we have, our own independence, our own reliance on our own resources. All of those things come down and we enter into the kingdom like a child, like a newborn, completely dependent on God, recognizing that all we have is because of God. And we surrender all of that back to our Lord. And that's how we enter into the kingdom. But we're not called to stay like little children. We're called to grow up in the faith. And some of us need to grow up. 1 Corinthians 13 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then I grew up. I put childish ways behind me. I knew in part, and I saw through a glass darkly, but now I more fully understand and I see more clearly. There is a call in the spiritual journey to grow up. But in growing up, we are called to be attentive to the children. To the least of these, Scripture says. To the ways in which being attentive to the children ignites something within us and changes the world around us let me let me talk for a few moments about some world issues some domestic issues and local application i don't always bring world or things that are in the news into Sunday morning, but it certainly is appropriate periodically to say our faith has to be relevant. It has to work where people are living or it's really no use at all. So let's talk about some of these things that are happening around the globe, some of which you're probably familiar with, some of which you probably don't know at all. I'll give you one that you're probably not aware of because it's kind of a local issue. It's local to Kujib. Papua New Guinea. And my guess is many of you are not receiving the newsletters from New Guinea on a regular basis. But there is a tribal war that's taking place just north of your hospital in Papua New Guinea. I say your hospital because most of you in this room have contributed to this church in some fashion. And out of those tithes and offerings that come into this place, We as a church contribute to Compassionate Ministries and um, Nazarene World Missions and participate in global relief efforts through your local church. And so there is a hospital in that place. I think it's probably been there about 50 years. I have a particular affinity to it because my uncle was, I think, the first doctor back when it was a clinic before it became a hospital about 50 years ago. And that particular hospital has been ministering to the needs of that community now for generations, thanks in part to you and the contributions you have made and we've been able to pass on. Why do I say that now? Well, I mention it because a few weeks ago, the hospital held a seminar for many of the local people It was a seminar about their journey, and through the process of that workshop seminar, there were many who came to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior for the first time. And at the end of that workshop, one of the teachings was this. A word of caution to all of those of you who have claimed Jesus as the Lord of your life. Be prepared, because often, not always, but often, Following that kind of a commitment, things take place that test that decision, that cause you to work your faith. So just be prepared. Lean on each other and lean on God. Within a week, tribal warfare broke out. It's one of the places in our globe where... Tribal living is still a vital part of the culture. It's made it very difficult for a number of the employees of the hospital and many to whom they administered they administered to in that workshop. But the report is that they are doing just what that they said they would do, lean on each other, help one another. And the employees and workers at the hospital have moved from simply being health care workers into being those individuals who take care of their community and engage in the infrastructure of where they live. We've had a number of earthquakes that have happened in recent years. short time ago, a disastrous one in Nepal, more recently this last week in Chile. Santiago, I think, is the name of the town where it took place. 8.3, something like that. And most of you may have heard about it on the news about the tsunami warning that really didn't affect us, but certainly affected those who were nearby. My understanding is that somewhere in the neighborhood of a million people, at least for some period of time, were displaced. Within our denominational tradition, we have 60 churches in that area that have stepped in very quickly to provide some relief, some basic necessities to try and organize neighborhoods. They're certainly not the only group. There are many other groups, and we partner with those. But some of their resources come as a result of your faithful week after week, month after month, giving to this place so that we can funnel resources so that they're ready to go immediately. So there's not a four, five, six-week delay, four-month delay. But the resources are already there because of the values of this place. This is not a morning where I'm trying to pile on guilt of all that we're not doing, but to say thanks for some of the things that are being done and to encourage you in ways that you are helping and being part of a solution. There has been in another part of the world what has uh, come to many to, um, that they believe this is the greatest movement of refugees since World War II. Coming from many countries, the one with the largest issue of migration being Syria, this five-year-old war has killed somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 people or more. It has displaced in a country of 23 million, so that's the total number 23 million, 12 million have in some way or another been displaced from their homes. Half of the population of the country. Four million of those have sought asylum outside of the country. They have migrated through Hungary, through Turkey, through um, a variety of countries, Croatia, trying to find their ways to other countries where they might be able to establish a new life. Half of that four million are children. Children. And these are not all impoverished third-world countries, people. It wouldn't change the matter if they were, but some of them are families just like your family. Educated, skilled, had homes, a livelihood and a direction, but because of the civil war, the invasion of towns and cities, feeling like they had no choice but to flee. It's an enormous issue and problem. You have people just like you at sister churches in Syria who are working with those who are still in the country. Those who are providing free education to children so that they might still make their way out of very difficult situations. And we have missionaries and nationals and churches in all but probably one of the countries where that migration of refugees are headed to. Thank you for giving through this place so that we can participate in what's happening globally. There are other things you can do and some of you are already doing them. Some of you have a voice and can make a difference in ways that some of the rest of us never could. I encourage you to keep doing that, but at least one of the ways that we do participate is by how we give. Let me talk about domestically some of the issues that we're facing. There are too many to mention in one Sunday morning. But we face all kinds of issues. You hear it on the news all of the time. The political rhetoric that is spoken around um, immigration and what we're supposed to do and people vying for their particular side of the argument. We have um, the movement in our country, Black Lives Matter. We have issues related to um, human trafficking. And the conversation goes on and on, sometimes inflammatory, sometimes helpful, often not. The question for me centers around once again are we aware of the children? If Jesus is asking us to be disciples, welcome the least of these. The question is, how are we treating the children in the midst of all of that? You can talk about all the rhetoric you want and all of the policies, and I'm glad for those who are wrestling with those issues, and I hope that we pray for those individuals. But for us individually, we have to ask the question, what about the children? And I think for this, it takes more than just gift giving. We have to ask the question, where is love in all of this? Because love needs to be the guiding force for how we act, what we do, and how we do it. Paul, in a wonderful letter to the Corinthians, writes a beautiful chapter, chapter 13. Let me personalize it for us this morning. You might be able to... Speak eloquently. You might be able to argue with the best of them. You might be able to be incredibly persuasive about your side of the debate. But if you don't have love, you're just one of the noisemakers. You are clanging cymbals and doing so little with your rhetoric. You might have the gift of being able to see what's coming down the road. You might have incredible knowledge about subject matter. You might even be able to wrap your head around mysteries and explain those mysteries to other people so that they kind of drop their jaw and go, wow. You might have the gift of faith, so much faith that you can actually move mountains and People go, wow, that's really incredible. But if you don't, if you don't have love, then all of that stuff amounts to virtually nothing. Nothing. You might give all you have away to the poor. You might live a life that is so sacrificial that people think you're sacrificing your whole life away. But if you don't have love through all of that, nobody profits from it. No one. So let me tell you what love is and what it's not. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud or self-serving. Love's not quick to anger at all, and equally important, love doesn't keep any account of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, love rejoices in truth, love protects, love always trusts, love always hopes. And it just keeps on persevering. All the other stuff, it'll eventually fail. It'll pass away. It'll go by the wayside, along with those who stood in those places. But love, 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 love just keeps pushing through. And it transforms So when you talk with love, it changes the way you talk. When you give with love, it changes how you give. And it changes the results of what come out of all of those discussions. The call to care and be attentive to children is a call to love with a heart who sees through eyes that Christ has given to us. Love. It's what will ultimately remain. So how about locally? How about right here, right now? In this community of faith. I hope that out of this community of faith, we break down some of those walls in conversation, in action, participating in the important things that are happening around us domestically. I hope that somehow we're engaged globally, and I'm telling you, you already are. I hope it continues What about right here in our community of faith? Well, let me simply start off by saying, if you have kids, love them. I mean, love them. Really, really love them. Structure your schedule, your life, in such a way that they are a priority for you. Find ways to put into practice natural consequences and raise them up in hearing your stories of your Faith. If you're a grandparent the same, invest time and and talk about your own journey, both the ways in which you have followed Christ and the struggles that you've had as well. Obviously, do it in an age-appropriate fashion, but love your kids. Change the world by changing the way in which you love and pour yourself into your children. But I know that we have many who either don't have children at all or don't have children at home pour your life into someone else's children as well. We have plenty of people here who would relish the opportunity to have an evening out, just the two of them or the one of them. It's not that they don't love their children. Sometimes it's exhausting and overwhelming. And you've done that. Among many other people for me. I can't tell you the number of people who have poured their life into my daughters, and still are. I mean, Kay and I worked at parenting, but it's never enough. Some of you cared enough to take one of my girls out for ice cream, or to just say a kind word, or to find out about her life. But here's a really important truth for everyone, whether you're a parent or grandparent, have no children, investing in someone else. Don't judge your success on today's results. (laughs) Thank you, Jimmy. That's probably the most important thing I said all morning. What you do today may have no results that you can see by day's end. That's not how it works with kids. Attentiveness to children has to take the long haul in mind, and we need to be an encourager to one another as we go through that journey, recognizing that the investment that is happening now pays off in 10, 20 eternal denominations. i is a quick story, I, I can't remember if I've shared this in here or not, but I um, was a youth pastor in Kentucky for a period of time and I had this ingenious idea. It was titled Take a Ton of Teens to Camp Meeting and I had a van that I thought could hold a ton of teens and I put the word out and advertising went everywhere and at the end of all of my promotion I had one teen who signed up to go on the van and he didn't weigh a ton and so this whole thing felt like it flopped but I... Went to pick him up in the van. I had never met him before. I didn't even know where he was, who he was, where he had lived, but I went and picked him up. He, I think at the time, was an eighth grader, seventh grader, maybe. And uh, Kay and I went, and I thought, you know, the truth is, alone at camp meeting, there's a chance that that actually may do more harm to a spiritual journey than help. So I decided on the spur of the moment that we would take him out for pizza, putt put go off, and just spend some time together. Um, it, it was um, not anything special in terms of result. I dropped him off at his house. I may have seen him one other time during my tenure there, and it didn't go over very well at camp meeting because apparently somebody had heard about it, and at camp meeting they announced that the teens who were doing a ton of teens were here Would they all stand and nobody was there and nobody stood. And That didn't go over real good with my pastor or the church, so it felt like a disaster at every turn. Ten years later, I was invited back to that part of the state to be a speaker at senior high camp. After the Monday night message, I had a young man come up to me and introduced himself. He said, do you remember me? And I said, I am so sorry I don't. And he said, "Um, I was the teen that you picked up for the ton of teens that night, and we went and played putt-putt golf. And um, I'm one of the counselors, one of the workers here at senior high camp, and I just wanted to come up and say hi and tell you I started going to church after that. and I'm trying to pour my life back into other teens as well. I don't... The payoff is rarely today. Sometimes you don't get a chance to see the payoff. But loving our kids is what we're called to. And it's real interesting. Jesus did not divide the disciples into little clusters and say, okay, the three of you that have a gift with children, listen to this teaching. Those of you that have strengths working with younger ones, he didn't do that. It was to all of the disciples, blanket statement, Certainly some are more gifted than others. Some of our most gifted are right now with some of the children. But the call is to every one of us to be attentive to the children because it changes our perspective, our posture, and it makes us wrestle with what it means to love. So we are called this week to organize our schedule, our journey, our spiritual lives so that we start seeing with the eyes of Jesus. We see global issues in that way. We see domestic issues in that way. We see our local community and our fellowship right here. With this calling, very specific, to be a follower of mine, Jesus says, to welcome me, you're going to have to be attentive to the children all around you. That's the kind of church we want to be. The kind of value system that holds us together. Oh, that Christ would take us to that place. I think we've begun that journey well. With the right rhythm of rest and rejuvenation and work and effort and engagement. We can be more and more like Christ intends us to be. Father in heaven, may these words honor you, may your scripture come to life for us, may we celebrate you by celebrating the children around us, and when we talk about big global issues or issues of our neighborhood, may we be the voice attentive to the children so that we might truly be your children, Lord. Thank you. Amen.